Do you like aliens, UFOs, cryptids, and the supernatural? What about self-defecating humor? Uh, actually, it's self-deprecating humor. Well, you may both be right. Alien Theorist Theorizing is a comedy podcast that examines cases like Roswell, Bigfoot, or the Atacama Alien. If any of these topics pique your interest, subscribe to Alien Theorist Theorizing free anywhere you find podcasts or go to alientheorists.com. Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. I'm tempted to just rerun any of the last 50 episodes where I said no red wave over and over, but you probably heard it enough. No, wait, 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 wait. I have definitely not heard it enough, Joe. You can say it as many times as you want. In fact, you could just, we could loop it for 30 minutes, and I think it would be our best episode ever. Well, like I said, look, we had a lot of people heard us, I think lay out exactly, uh, in several of those episodes, exactly what was going to happen in this election. Uh, you know, we've repeated over and over again that we thought we'd hold the Senate, maybe pick up one in the Senate, and that it wasn't going to be a wave, and that the the reality was that if Democrats could hold the House, it'd be by two or three seats, and if we lost it, it'd be by, you know, eight to, to 12. It's, it's lay, so far, I mean, we don't have all the results in as we talk. Uh, I mean, one thing we do know: there was no red wave. <laughs> it was, a, a, it wasn't even a red ripple. It was Drink. like a, a red trickle, whatever they're calling it now. But uh, anyway, uh, so Alex, where do you want to start? Well, well, you got you got into it a little bit, but anything on the macro level from a message point or kind of what you see going forward, and then we can get into some of the the individual races. Look, I still think there's a good chance. I mean, results can come in any minute here. So as as we're recording this on on Wednesday after the election, look, there's a you know a still I think a clear path uh, that we could end up with 51 seats in the Senate. Uh, you know, gaining one seat, which is exactly what you called. Yeah, it, well, just so we're clear. I thought worst case would be we'd be at you know where we are. Did he fifty uh, fifty with Kamala breaking ties with hoping we could pick up one. If we can win Nevada, I think if we win Nevada and Arizona holds up, if Kelly wins the Senate seat there, which I believe he will when the votes are counted, then I think the runoff in Georgia is not about control of the Senate. We'll, we'll have control of the Senate. And I think that that may take, you know, may make uh, people walk away from Walker. I mean, what, what would hold a lot of the voters who turned out for Walker is that I think that I mean that's the reason they voted for him in the first place, you know. Wait, it wasn't it wasn't him. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but in any case, I think that that's how you get to fifty one. I think it's still possible. We'll know soon enough. But the you know the real thing is that youth vote so far in these key states and with what we know uh, from exit polls show that young voters breaking roughly sixty three to thirty five for Democrats. That is a huge number. Their vote shares up everywhere. I mean, in a lot of some of these close close races, I mean, that probably made the difference, right? For sure. In the, in in Georgia, I think for sure with Evers in in uh, uh, Wisconsin, uh, you know, and, and kept it close there on the Senate side, and and absolutely uh, in Nevada, those are close wins, and that kind of a surge and that kind of a margin uh, with young voters. I think the more 
important thing about this, and this is something that a lot of people don't understand about kind of how things work long game, but having been there as I watched the Reagan revolution happen in the 80s, there were a whole lot of people who just became 18, 19, 20, it was their first couple of cycles. And that Reagan revolution brought them into the Republican Party. So young people back then, massively, by big, by these kinds of margins, registered as Republicans. And many of them still are. I mean, if you get locked in early, you tend to stay in a party uh, for the rest of your life or, you know, for the long haul. And what we might be seeing here is a real problem long term, not just in 2024, but I mean, again, if entire, if Generation Z starts to see themselves like this, voting 65-35 for Democrats, aligning with the Democratic Party at, at that early stage in their, you know, as they're, you know, getting into adulthood and engaging in politics, that could be a real long-term big boost to, re- to Democrats going forward, particularly as demographics continue to, to, to change for the Republican Party, which is much older and has, is clearly not appealing at all to younger voters. I mean, you look at Democrats won among voters under 40 and lost in all the cohorts over 40 in this election in most races. I mean, you, you, when you look at the exit polls. Yeah, so that's pretty, pretty normal. Pretty yeah. amazing. Let me, let me go kind of broader. And this is something that everyone's talking about today. It's pretty clear that GOP has a Trump problem. And it, I think it probably boils down to those two words that Mitch McConnell said, which is candidate quality, right? Well, yeah. But I mean, look, the, the, the reality is it's the problem that we've talked about all, all cycle. The Republican Party writ large cannot win elections unless the MAGA folks vote for their candidates in the general. The problem with that is, uh, in other words, so if you, if you run as a rhino, they're not coming out for you. And by the way, if you run as a rhino, you can't get the nomination. So the problem is, if Trump or no Trump, the base has, is holding the party hostage. Now, Trump created that and he fueled it. And by the way, he likes to hold the Republican Party hostage and use that base to do that. So look, I don't think he's going anywhere, no matter how clear it is that those candidates, that Oz, you know, is, and some of the others, you know, a whole lot of the MAGA election deniers lost uh, in governor's races and Senate races and in House races around the country. Um, not the least, Bobart, but we shall get to her in a while. Right. You know, one thing, Joe, that I thought was, I mean, maybe the biggest macro point of the night, and this is from Greg Sargent, who, by the way, I do want to quickly and we should probably multiple times give shout outs to people like Greg, people like Simon Rosenberg, Tom Bonnier coming in late. Yeah, we had them on these podcasts repeatedly uh, going through and really knocking down everything from the stupid false red, you know, red wave polling dump that the Republicans were doing at the end and and so much of it. But what, what I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and they did it with data too, which I think was really important. And they always had, it wasn't this like gut thing. It was consistently pointing to data. The one thing that I saw from Greg today on Twitter was was this. 
He said at least four of the five swing states that decided 2020, and those are the five existential states that if you've been following the work of the union, the Lincoln Project, what Joe and I have been working on, those are the states, right? It's Arizona, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, like those, that's it. Those are the states. In those five states, four of them as of now will not have election denying governors and election denying secretaries of state. They are not just handing the election to Trump in 2024, which was a real concern, as we know. That, those, that's why the Lincoln Project targeted those exact kind of races, because they were more critical in the fight for democracy in a lot of ways than some of the other races out there. And not, not to make any other of the wins uh, less important, clearly, you know, they, they were. But, but defeating the election deniers and those governor's races and secretary of state's races is probably the, the biggest win you know, the best that we could could hope for in this election, other than keeping it close in the Senate and the House as we as right. Democrats were able to do. And as Greg said, and I thought he put a really nice bow on this, voters put MAGA authoritarianism on the defensive. Now, don't get me wrong, still there. We you and I know we gotta put our heads down for the next two years and work really hard. But well, it first was of all, we're gonna be me. right back at it in Georgia in in, in a month. In a couple and weeks. Yep. in a couple of weeks, uh, Trump's not going anywhere, folks. He'll be announcing soon. That's next that, week. That's according the, the, that's the whole reason we're here, because we, we can't let that guy back in the in the White House. That can't happen. Uh, and by the way, I know people are rolling their eyes saying that can't happen. Yes, it can. And that's why we've you know, look how close these races were. You know, it, that's that's the fight we're in. We came out of the midterm without the usual wave that happens. I've never thought that this was a referendum on the on the Biden on Biden and the the Democrats. It was a choice election, as Biden said, and I think enough Americans saw that as the threat, along with other things that we've talked about. Uh, enough of them saw that as the threat that and the threat to their rights that they. They overcame that what what should have been a wave election. That's my point. Is you know with inflation, with gas prices, with Biden's numbers being where they were, none of these races should have been contests. They were because of the threat of this authoritarian MAGA cult, and enough people recognized that to pull together across party lines, uh, tons of Republicans out there, enough of them. Enough independents and a hell of a lot of Democrats uh, stood together. Um, the volunteers at at, at the union, uh, and by the way, still plugging it. Join the union. Us, you know, over sixty, sixty two, sixty three thousand now. Uh, we're out there, and they're going to still be out there in Georgia and and getting ready for for twenty twenty four. This isn't go- going away. But I, you know, look, I think what's remarkable is it's the same states, right? I mean, you know, the same places, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, that we saw in, you know, in 2020 that um, held up, you know, and, and, and cast their votes for Biden uh, in that election again, a, again with, the, you know, with the king of MAGA on the ballot. They, they still, I think, look like they're gonna hold uh, this time too. But we'll be back in those states again two years from now. I mean, not two years from now, like this week. We've got to go back and keep building. 
Well, let's let's talk about some of those states. Let's get into Pennsylvania, because I know someone who probably won't be back because he's going back to New Jersey is Dr. Oz. I think, Joe, you called it. You said the debate was a wash, and it clearly showed it was. It looks like uh, Fetterman's already up by about four. There's a bunch of votes coming in still from Philly, which is why we're talking about it like it's not quite done. But obviously, Fetterman won. Shapiro won big. Anything else you see in Pennsylvania that, that kind of stood out to you? Well, we swept all three of the toss-up house seats in Pennsylvania. This is true throughout uh, New England and most of the Northeast. Yeah, we won the entirety of New England. Yeah, we won everything in New England, every sing- every uh, seat that, that, that was supposedly toss-up or, you know, marginal battleground. Uh, we took all of them. We took all three of the targets, PA 17, Pennsylvania 12, Pennsylvania 7. I mean, uh, you know, Susan Wilde, you know, won. I mean, that, I mean, that's... A, big deal in, that these three uh, held. But that's when you knew that there was not, I mean, that and a couple of things that we saw in Virginia, where, you know, in that down there, Jennifer Wexton won in Virginia 10. But the, I think the, the clear sort of bellwether was Abigail Spanberger uh, when we saw her win uh, uh, Virginia 7. All these things combined as you came on, you know, East Eastern time is polls were closing, just said right off the bat, hey, what we what we thought was true. It wasn't going to be a wave election. It was going to be very close. And even right now, as we speak, it's still probable that the Republicans can take the House. But even now, right now, with what's standing out there, there's a slim chance. There's a that, path. There's a yeah. path that uh, Democrats can hold it. So it will be in that three to Holding it by two or three, or or losing it by you know it maybe up to twelve, something like that. So but that's what I thought. I all do want to ask, and I know I know we're going into the states, but I have another macro question that we'll talk about at length, and we'll talk about it with our friends at the Lincoln Project. But can you just imagine the crisis, the leadership crisis that Republicans, should they take the House, are going to have with such a slim margin? Like I would not want to be Kevin McCarthy right now. Well, I mean, look, it's it's ridiculous. You're, there's no way that that caucus is going to be governable. You know, I mean, that that you can that you can control it. That he and him in particular, it's not going to happen. They're already, you know, putting the cabal together to go see him and make demands. Uh, or we're going to go to somebody else. They're looking for another candidate already. So that that's just going to get uh, ugly. I mean, if they do, it, the the thing is, you know, we had four years of a chaotic president. You know, the chaos president. I think. We're probably if the Republicans get the the House, it's going to be that the Chaos Caucus will be the House. Will be the the Speaker of the House will be trying to control the Chaos Caucus, and it'll be Congress, a very chaotic. I'm not talking House, not not. Uh, hopefully, we hold the Senate as I think we will, and it's going to be a real, just a nightmare for for whoever the speaker is and I have serious doubts about whether McCarthy will will get gather the votes to be speaker but he, he might you already see on the senate side Rick Scott and McConnell circling each other uh, so not, they're throwing jabs yeah they're yeah it's they're awesome like, they're 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 getting ready and Trump's going to jump into that uh you know maybe an alliance with Scott where's McCarthy going to be in all this uh you, you know he's he's just going to sit there it's going to be, and he's got a caucus. I mean, you, you know, McConnell's going to have enough trouble on the Senate with his folks, uh, you know, staving off Scott with Trump as an ally for Scott. 
you know, in, in the House, oh man, you had 139 deniers as it as it was, you know, that didn't certify last election. We've defeated a lot of them, but there's more, you, you know, it's just, it's even crazier because they've purged all the moderates. So no, I don't think, I think it's going to have big ramifications. And I actually think if we hold the Senate, the, it would, like I said, I think we will. Then what it does is the, the Biden agenda gets uh, passed in the Senate and the House uh, won't support it. But they'll because they'll be crazy and they'll obstruct and they'll do their thing and they'll be doing investigations and all those other things. On top of that, though, anything that they that McCarthy can get, you know, you know that anybody wants to do something crazy in the House and he can't control them and they pass it. You know, you've got the Senate and the president there. And by the way, this will all be happening pretty clearly in front of the American people. The press will have to right, cover right. it as as the chaos Congress. And so, you know, they. They were, they were already, we already saw them overreach after Dobbs in state legislatures. We saw Lindsey Graham with his crazy national ban thing uh, that, that they, they quickly brushed away because they realized how deadly that was to their chances. And so we'll see. But I don't think there's anybody who can control the, the House caucus, uh, particularly. It feels good to gift. So give your dad the one for all gift card this Father's Day and let him choose the gift he wants. With 100 plus brands to choose from and zero fees, there's no need to play the guessing game to show your appreciation. You know he'll get the gift he wants and making his day will make your day. Gifting feels good with the one for all gift card. Available in store and at giftcards.com. See giftcards.com for terms and conditions. I do wanna mention that national abortion ban for a second. You know, there was a lot of talk, and honestly, it was just a bunch of the BS polls we saw. But one thing that stood out last night, and you pointed this out in our war room last night, that we all said, oh, this means Pennsylvania is probably good as one, was voters were very clearly stating in Pennsylvania that abortion was their top issue. And that's all you really needed to know. No, it wasn't just there. There was, it was you know, there was uh, CBS had exits. CNN, the exits in, in Pennsylvania, that was specific. But like, yeah, you had 32% say it was inflation was their number one issue and 27% saying abortion was their number one issue. You know, and 10% were saying gun violence was their number one issue. I mean, you you could just see, and by the way, I think it was something like, you know, 90% of people who said abortion was, or maybe it was 84 or something, but but big, big number that abortion was their number one issue were for Fetterman. And then, and then when you, it, it's the same thing. It, it didn't pan out that way on inflation. There are a lot of Democrats who, yeah, I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about high gas prices, but I'm voting for the Democrats because they're the pe- only people trying to do anything about it. They're the only people trying to lower drug prices. I mean, so you had, you, you, the, the question is, what's your number one concern? The person says inflation. The next question wasn't, are you going to vote based on that? I mean, those, it's how the questions are asked. But it was clear in the exits that, yeah, all this talk of why are they running on inflate on a, on abortion? Why aren't they talking more about inflation? It you know it's the nan 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 it got the hand wringing on the a, a lot of Democrats, particularly a couple of days even before the damn election, they're on cable whining about why we had blown it. Well, we didn't blow it. Blow it. It turns out people actually viewed it as a choice election. And I talked about this. I talked about the cross pressure that I thought was going to happen. 
uh, between people, yes, a woman who's worried about inflation, but also, and may even hold Biden and Democrats responsible, but also with everything she has, was angry about the Dobbs decision and wrestling about what that meant for her vote. And that in the end, that cross pressure was what was making the, the race close. And I think that's exactly what we saw last night on, on Tuesday night. And I think the, uh, the other thing I think that that said is that once a candidate, you know, once that cross pressure, usually what happens in that situation, by the way, which I, I did warn people about, but we didn't see it, is it can break big one way. I mean, all, they, they, all, it, it's like a relief valve and everything breaks. I'm, I'm cross pressured on inflation or abortion, if it, using those two as an, as an example, and everything breaks to the inflation side. That's my, that's, I'm going to give into that and bang and, you know, and, and vote for Republicans because I blame the Democrats. I didn't, I warned people that that could happen, but I didn't think it would happen. And the reason I didn't think it would happen is because I thought a lot of Democrats, they may have problems with, and a lot of people may have some problems with Biden, his age or whatever, but I'll take care of, you know, I thought they would, okay, given that cross pressure, I'm really worried about Dobbs. I'm voting for the Demo for the, for Fetterman against Dr. Oz, you know, and the mega extremists. And, you know, Biden's not on the ballot. Uh, uh, he will be. Right. And let's see who he's running against in 2024. And and that's where I may, you, you know, if I'm still angry, then I may do something. I don't think there are a whole lot of people angry at Joe Biden, disliking Joe Biden. They may not approve of his, of his presidency or his job performance, but he's, you know, it's not, it didn't engender the kind of just... The motivation, I think. Yeah. That they would yeah. repudiate him. Yeah. You know, speaking of one really angry person who very much doesn't like Joe Biden, there's a race in Colorado that we heard some whispers about a couple weeks ago. Joe, we can get into that in a, in, in a minute. But as of right now, Lauren Boebert is losing by about 2,000 votes with something like 95%. And I do want to give an update. There, had, there was an update while we were recording, which is always exciting. It looks like right now what people are tracking is there's roughly 6,000, 7,000 votes left. And all of those votes are coming in right now in areas that are fairly friendly for Frisch, the Democrat. So it, it looks like they'll probably split somewhere around 50-50. And if she's got 2,000, 3,000 of them to make up, that ain't going to be good enough. So fingers crossed that it's looking good. But as far as right now, Lauren Boebert may not be in the house very much longer. That was, uh, you know, Boebert, she became, you know, we, if you, we, we haven't talked about this much since those, some of the early shows, but we started uh, uh, Operation 147 with some other folks. And uh, it, the 147 was to go after the 147 people in the House and Senate who voted against uh, certifying the election. And, you know, we, we raised a little money. Not not tons of it, although given what happened, so it just described this a little bit. Uh, we took a look and decided let's make her our number one target. Let's run some very targeted digital advertising, you know, digital at targeted people in the district and move them, you know, Republican Bannon line voters, Republicans uh, who we thought would be possible to move off of her and towards uh, Frisch. And I don't know. We started that 
what, two, three weeks out, Alex. And I'm just, um, look, he ran a great, he ran a great race. And she certainly, uh, as I said many times through the cycle, they keep doing the crazy. We do the work. Well, she definitely kept doing the crazy. And Adam Frisch did the work. And I'm really proud of the job that Operation 147 did because this is another one of those things. When you do tens of thousands of repetitions to a targeted audience on digital, and don't brag about it, you don't talk about it, you just, we were just doing it. And you look at that and you look at, okay, it's going to be won by a couple thousand votes. I don't have a whole lot of doubt that that thrust that we put into it there in the closing weeks had an impact on that that 2,000 vote margin. It, Adam Frisch, it, it's great. I hope he gets there. I think he will. But um, it also tells you one of the big lessons that we that we continually talk about, Alex, is the number of campaigns and PACs out there who spend all their damn money on television, particularly in a house race like this. You have to buy, you know, basically the entire market to hit this one this one house race and, and yeah you're buying denver which is like most of the state it, right it's, it's so wild for a, a fraction of that cost we're able to hit and by the way you're you're hitting people that you don't want to hit <laughs> i mean it's too big you know you just want to like hey we just want to hit this slice of people and see if we can move them but you got to do it in front of everybody on denver television it doesn't work you could for a fraction of the cost and, and, you know, with the same creativity and better targeting actually helped try to make a difference. And I think uh, Operation 147 did. And I hope uh, I hope it gets more traction in 2024, because I think it there really is a different way to do this. And I think both in the Lincoln Project and Operation 147, you know, we we've helped uh, make a difference uh, doing that kind of stuff. So before we go, Joe, and we're just about out of time. Um, I do want to give a shout out to my home state. Uh, Michigan had a very good night. Uh, you know, I was there with, with the Michigan Dems and Jocelyn Benson and, and the team there, and, and, and they had a really impressive operation, but uh, they won the trifecta. All, all three of the women at the top of the ticket pulled it out, and it looks like margins are, are gaining. Uh, but we did also make some history, and, and this was where Amy Chapman's work, and she says, hi, by the way, her election night cookies are as good as ever. Uh, we flipped both chambers, the House and the Senate, and it's the first time in like in my lifetime, and in I think in forty years, that we've controlled both chambers and the governor, which is just wild to see in in a state like Michigan. That by the way, Joe Biden won so so tightly. Didn't that happen in Minnesota too, or didn't we take? One yeah, of but them? I'm not from Minnesota, so I wanted to talk about Michigan. We can hit Minnesota. Yes, we did flip Minnesota House, which means we'll be controlling Minnesota House. I think Pennsylvania is either really close or we're going to win that one. Arizona, depending on the ballot dump that'll happen in about an hour. But this, this every every level, and I think this is getting to your point, Joe. We won on every level last night against whatever current you want to call it. But this thing was like state house, state rep, auditor, all these different races. Yeah, we well, that's winning. because of the work everybody else out there is doing. Uh, that, I mean, it is about getting local and fighting at the local level, which Democrats haven't done forever, uh, and we're starting to. And it's the, I think it's been energized by what people in, you know, across the country, all the groups, indivisible, you know, you know all the, the union, et cetera, that have been out there 
and working and it's making a difference. And I think it definitely made a difference in these state house races that we're seeing. And of course, that will bottom up, lift the party and make it stronger. The one sort of disappointment for me personally was Sherry Beasley in North Carolina. Damn, she came close uh, to defeating Bud, Bud there. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, she, she lost her, the Supreme Court, the chief justice race by, I think, 400 votes. And now she's come back and, I mean, gave it one hell of a run in this very difficult environment. And, you know, it, it, it and just missed, but uh, she ran a hell of a campaign. Uh, so you look, you, we, we won quite a few uh, and we won where we needed to. And I think we'll win in Arizona and, and I'm optimistic about Nevada. Uh, and if that happens, like I said, then Warnock, the Georgia race becomes, we already have control and the Georgia race becomes, I think, more about the two personalities instead of like, wait, we've got to close our eyes and vote for Walker because it's the whole thing, which I think would get, you know, might benefit him more. So I, I'm feeling pretty good about where things are. I know we don't know everything yet. And I'm also looking at the house and, you know, I, again, I said, we're, we're likely to, to miss it, but by a very small uh, number of seats, I think, uh, but there still is, there still is a chance out there that, uh, that we can hold it. There's a path not a likely one, but well, there is a. Then that's a that's a good time to bring up what actually this this just also broke. Um, Decision Desk, who are pretty good at calling races, they're usually ahead of the major networks. Um, their model gives Republicans a sixty one percent chance of a majority in the House as it stands right now. So thirty nine percent chance the Democrats do it, and basically the range is the Republicans will have somewhere between two hundred twelve and two hundred twenty five seats in the chamber. Which, by the way regardless, is guaranteeing it's either Democratic control or a chaos Congress. Joe, before we go, I do want to just ask if you have any thoughts on either Ohio or Florida. I think Ohio, we saw some really encouraging signs. Tim Ryan ran a great race. We'll get into Florida on a future podcast, but any any closing thoughts yeah, on either of those same. states? That's the same. I think, I think uh, Ohio, look, tough place. Ryan was the right candidate, right message. I think he and you know what it's like because you were there in 2020 when we had to go it alone uh, in Alabama without any help from the party. And he, we were an incumbent senator. Doug, you know, Doug Jones was an incumbent senator and got nothing uh, from the National Party. Uh, and so, you know, Tim Ryan was out there essentially on his own and ran, a, I, I think, an incredibly strong race. Uh, but again, this wasn't even... You know, Pennsylvania, you know, we, we want, you know, Biden won it. You know, he got beat by seven, eight points in Ohio in, uh, you know, in, in 2020. So it's not the same, same turf. And, and I'm not, you know, frankly, it, you know, both make my own point. Maybe the party, you know, they, aban you know, they abandoned Doug Jones. They didn't, they didn't get with him. Well, you know, I don't know that they'd come in. It would have, in fact, probably would have hurt us. And I and that may still be what even Tim Ryan thinks today uh, that he, if they if they had come in with every everything uh, for him that it would have nationalized the race and he would have lost by a bigger margin. So, uh, but he ran a hell of a race, and I think look, I don't know. I mean, I think I still think like we're going to see Tim Ryan. It may be in the in the cabinet, you know, as things shuffle out, and they're going to. Uh, in the Biden administration, yeah, hell, you may see both him and Doug Jones there. We don't, we don't know yet, but uh, 
but he's definitely got a future. I, I, we haven't seen the last of Tim Ryan. Joe, that's about as good a place as any to end. I think a lot of positive signs, a lot of things still out there, but good night overall. Yeah, well, I'm not going to stay up all night tonight waiting for anything to come in like I did last night. Uh, So thanks, everyone, for listening to that trippy show. And thanks to the thousands of you listening who signed up with the union and made a difference in one of the many races that were so close. With those kinds of close results, it really does make a difference. Um, when each of you, you know, got involved, uh, plugged away, made the phone calls, knocked the doors, and signed up with the, some of the 70 partner organizations that were out there working with the union uh, in all these races. And look, we got to get right back at it, take some rest, but we got to get ready for, for Georgia and 2024. In that light, we'll be back next week telling you what to expect and what we see Please subscribe to That Trippy Show. Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And, you know, if you really do think that this podcast helped prepare you or lay out exactly what you ended up seeing on Election Day, you know, and and it's worth passing on to a friend uh, or a coworker to they maybe should, you know, give us a listen. We'd really appreciate it. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review on iTunes. See you next time. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and you may know me from my career on Wall Street or my 11 days in the White House. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'll tell you, if you read books, you can. I love to read, and my new podcast, Open Book, is about just that. Each book is this curated source of knowledge, which we can buy for $10 and digest in 10 hours. Together with some of the brightest minds and authors out there, I'll turn the pages on everything from history and psychology to finance and tech. You can find Open Book with Anthony Scaramucci on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.